I, I think that there's hope out there. You know, I don't see mental health issues. I don't think depression, anxiety, PTSD are physical genetic issues. They've never found a gene for these things. So anyone who's suffering deeply with these things to know that there is a way you can actually live a fulfilled and meaningful life. You know, don't give up. These things are coming and they're going to be more accessible, hopefully more, more uh, accessible to more people and cost less, hopefully over time. The insurance will eventually start to cover it or, or government programs will cover it. So there is hope out there. And to really, if, if this is something that you're called to, to find places that align, that you align with and to look into this work, read up about it, know what you're getting yourself into, of course, but to know that you're not sick and, and uh, don't give up hope that you're not here in this world. We're not here to suffer or to be punished. I don't care what you did or what you were exposed to. There, there's, there's hope. And uh, that's what I like to leave people with. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Psychedelic Conversations. Today, we have Stephen Radovitz from US. Welcome to our conversation. Thank you Thank for you. making time. Thank you for having me. And for our listeners, just to give a bit of context of your background, I'd like to say a few words from your bio and what you do, uh, and then we can take it from there. Great. Dr. Dr. Steven Radowitz, um, he is, uh, he has a wealth of uh, experience seeing the effects of trauma can have on our physical health firsthand. He joined Noshama to oversee and develop treatment modalities, believing psychedelics are the future for mental wellness as current solutions treat symptoms, not underlying issues. And you, uh, you also run the primary care program at Goldman Sachs and practiced internal medicine and primary care since 1998. You also led um, the um, alcohol and opioid detoxin treatment unit. So that's really interesting for us to hear from that as well. So we'll add all the full bio and your links where our listeners can find you and learn more about what you offer in the show notes. But for now, without further ado, what brings you to this medicine work? Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I guess working in primary care uh, over the many, many years, um, I start to see the limitations of traditional, you know, medicine, um, this sort of separation of mental health and, and, and physical health. And through my years of experience, I start to see how mental health really does have an influence, a significant influence on, on, on our bodies and, and how we live. Um, that being said, I saw a lot of issues and, and especially in the United States and the American healthcare system <laughs> has many issues and very, um, there's a lot of uh, it's 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 there's a lot of separation in care, and the way things are treated in a very mechanistic way and a less holistic way. Um, also, I saw that people were not being treated properly. Uh, I saw in, in mental health a lot of my members. I was you know my primary care doctor and preventive medicine doctor, and I saw some of my my patients who would go and on you know with mental health issues go to a psychiatrist and come back you know, after a period of time on, you know, laundry list of, you know, up to five or six different medications and sort of dead, you know, sort of empty. They didn't feel, you know, sad, but they didn't feel happy. They felt nothing, you know. And so I stopped prescribing. I stopped sending people to psychiatrists and got more comfortable if need be. I'd send people to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to take care of some of their psychiatric needs. I would prescribe certain medications if need be, but also talk to them about, you know, meditation, mindfulness, spirituality, and other things, other more holistic approach. And then, um, and hopefully with time, you know, when things evened out, I would be able to get them off of any medications that were prescribed. Um, I started um, in the site, as far as how I got into the psychedelics, you know, through my own journey, I guess, spiritual journey, you know, I started studying, uh, uh, you know, spirituality through what's called Kabbalah. It's a more of a Jewish mystical tradition um, about 18, 18 years ago. 
um, a non-Jewish patient gave me this book on it. And I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. I started reading. It was almost a science to me. And, I, and it also allowed me to see a different layer, a different way of view, from viewpoint of, of healthcare. And then over right before the pandemic, my um, uh, I'm a physician. My husband's a physician. He was having very te terrible headaches, like daily, daily headaches. And um, after we have two children and after our first child was born, and he tried everything, acupuncture, uh, Botox, medications, sinus surgery, everything, nothing took it away. And then someone mentioned doing, you know, some plant medicine, some journey medicine. And um, in the first journey we went to, he was shown where the headaches were coming from in a very, very specific way. And the headaches completely disappeared after the first journey. And so we started getting in. I started to see, and this is not just like a mental health issue. It was, you know, actually had an effect on his physical health. And we did a number and I got, you know, had developed a number of, you know, had through a number of experiences. I saw the power in this form of medicine. And uh, over when COVID hit, I was practicing medicine and I saw, you know, people were having a lot of significant issues with mental health, with depression, anxiety. And um, one of the people, a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, we're thinking of opening up a ketamine, a psychedelic wellness center. Um, we need a doctor. And I'm like, it just felt right. And I started doing, I stayed in my current, you know, my previous practice, started working here part-time and then working through this, it got really busy and I saw how effective it was actually more effective than I expected it to be. And I went full-time in this and it's been an amazing, amazing journey and uh, I'm learning every day. <laughs> so humbling. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into it. Um, so you are a ketamine doctor, is that correct? Would you say? <laughs> um, why ketamine? It, was it? Is there? A, is it because it's legal? Because it is legal now, right? Um, it's legal. So yeah, when used in a clinical setting, um, you know, with a, a, a you know a, a licensed professional, yes, it is legal uh, in, to use. I think in the UK as well as in the United States, um, in you know in a specific uh, you know clinical setting. Um, I, you know, I like to say I am a still primary care provider. I'm an internist, internal medicine, and I really believe in primary care and preventive medicine. So I still, even using ketamine, I still, I think this is really getting to the source of, of treating illness. So I still believe in it. I, I'm still practicing medicine, but in a much more, at a more early stage, the seed level of wire disease. So people hopefully don't have to go through, um, you know, some of these physical ailments, mental health or physical ailments. Um, so yeah, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yes, I love the idea of or the concept of the preventative, uh, whatever we can to help them. So what are you seeing as a doctor? You know, we've gone through such biblical event like pandemic. What are your observations? Is that why psychedelics are coming back really strong? Because a lot of people believe so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part. I think it started off, I, I, there's an openness to this type of medicine. And, you know, we're starting to see cannabis and marijuana, which is not a psychedelic in any way. But um, it definitely is opened people up to, you know, the legalization of that in the United States and, and many other countries now has opened it uh, up. An, uh, yeah, there's definitely an openness to using other substances, psychoactive substances for medicinal purposes. So that really was one you know, impetus. And then the, 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 uh, I guess a rash of, of mental health issues, suicidality, increase in suicidality, uh, addiction issues, our current treatment, our current treatment modalities are just not working well <laughs> overall. You know, they're there. They work for a period of time, but they're not getting to the seed level of the issue. So I think we just need something. And, and this has always been shown. This is not a new treatment. I mean, it was available in the sixties, LSD, and and uh, psilocybin were, were extensively and ketamine was extensively studied in the 60s and 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 had amazing effects but you know it was a very difficult time there was you know different this society was just going through its own revolution at the time and the people in the power at the time felt that it was, it was a, a destabilizing a destabilizing force and i think people started to misuse it before we as a society we were ready to use it on a mass scale and if it was kept clinical I think, and and start to really be let out in a sequential way. Maybe you know it's still we've been using it uh, throughout this period, but unfortunately it wasn't. So so this is not new, and uh, I think we're going to start to see other, these other agents also incredible incredible um, uh, effectiveness in other psychedelic agents, not only ketamine. 
Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I love your um, thought about the, we weren't ready. Uh, if we kept it as a clinical uh, work or medicine for the clinical work, uh, yeah, that would have been ideal, right? And then, but then he went quickly, went out into the public's mm -hmm. hands, you know. Um, do you also believe that we lost a lot of research time? Like, you know, people say we lost at least five decades of uh, so much work we could have done. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We lost many, many years of amazing, amazing uh, work. And and during that period of time, something else took its place with, I don't think, great, with significant consequences. We have a lot of people now, um, you know, over, you know, on, on medications that are quite soul numbing, you know, that actually have a lot of side effects, even increased suicidality, like the SSRIs, a lot of the antidepressants that we're using now, you know, they have their, their, their place. Um, but they were never meant and never, they were never prescribed, they were never studied to be used long-term. And uh, there are consequences to that. I think we have overuse of a lot of other um, agents like uh, benzodiazepines, which are highly addictive you know, and overused in psychiatric care, uh, opiates for pain, you know, overused, you know, so we've seen, I think it did have significant effects and, and psychedelics in themselves are actually quite safe. They're not addictive. There's no psychedelic when used properly has ever been shown to be addictive in any way, you know, as opposed to some of the medicines that we're actually prescribing like benzodiazepines, opiates and things like that, which are highly, highly addictive and dangerous. So, um, yeah, and but I think that there's another other reasons to, you know, why these things and there's a big business. You have to remember, you know, psychiatry and, and drugs and drug development is all it's a business, it's a multi-trillion dollar business. Um, so it's they're not going to let go of that business so quickly. So there's going to be pushback, I believe, as as these things come on board. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I think it was Dr. Jordan Peterson, I heard him saying, two things can kill you if you try and stop immediately. One was alcohol, the other one was benzodiazepines. Okay. Is that true? Would you agree? Very true. Benzos are far more dangerous, even more dangerous than alcohol, the most dangerous. Benzodiazepine withdrawal is, is very difficult to get off. It can take years to really fully uh, get off of them. And, and you can die if you stop them suddenly. You know, it takes pretty significant dose, but you know, you'd have to be taking a lot of it every day. But if someone stops suddenly, they can, they, they can have a significant, uh, it, it can be deadly. Same thing with alcohol. Yeah. Do, so you, do you know why? What, what is the, what is the reason for it to be so deadly? Do you, do you, do you understand it? Is there a, yeah, it causes a massive, so, you know, it suppresses the system. It suppresses, it causes a massive, it affects certain neuro, neurotransmitters in the brain and it causes suppression of the nervous system. So when you take it off, so the, when the brain isn't used to being, and it starts to rewire based on that lower, that, that suppressed system, when you just take it away, suddenly the system becomes hyperactive. You go into, so you can have a, almost like a adrenaline storm. So blood pressure goes through the roof, heart rate goes through the roof. It can cause arrhythmias. It can cause seizures. It can cause a, and death stroke. And and uh, and a complete cardiovascular collapse. So it's very dangerous, very significant. So no one should stop these agents suddenly, without the you know without being weaned off in a clinical setting. Yeah, thanks for that. That's a really good call. And would it also cause uh, psychotic breaks or anything psycho? Absolutely, DT, yeah. delirium tremens. Yeah, you can have absolute psychosis, delusions, uh, panic attacks. It can. It's, it's quite dramatic. Even coming off of certain antidepressants, especially like uh, one uh, venlafaxine, or we call it a. It's 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 brand name in the United States is uh, Effexor. I don't know what it is in the UK, um, but it can be very very difficult. And some of the SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, like fluoxetine, and they can be very difficult to get off. It can take months, months if not a year to get off some of these things properly. Yeah depending on the dose and how long they've been on it. So um, there's definitely consequences to being to, to taking these medications, especially for, on a long-term basis. Yeah. So one last thing about this. Uh, what about alcohol? Why does it kill somebody if they stop immediately? What is, what's happening in the body? Same thing as benzodiazepines. So same idea is that the, the you know, alcohol is a suppressive agent. It sort of suppresses the brain. And so when, you know, when you take it off so quickly, the brain becomes the, 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 
the nerves become hyperactive in a way. So you get also adrenaline road, blood pressure goes through the roof, heart rate goes through the roof, and it can cause arrhythmias, so death through arrhythmias and, and, and hypertensive crisis. So like a very, very high blood pressures, and it can cause stroke and bleeds in the brain, a lot, many different things. So uh, coming off of alcohol, usually very high doses um, could have significant and, and, and deadly uh, consequences. Yeah. Wow. And you can wean people off. We usually use benzodiazepines to wean people off of the alcohol, which is, you know, the standard of care, but we don't keep people on the benzodiazepines long-term. They take it for usually about a three, four, five day course of weaning people off uh, gradually. And you've been in the thick of all of this, you know, you, you worked at at the center to uh, detox the opiates as another whole similar situation, right? right? Yeah. Then the thing with opiates is that um, opiates like, you know, uh, like heroin and, 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 and Oxycontin and all these other drugs, they don't, it's a very uncomfortable withdrawing is not deadly for that. So they don't go into the same type of crisis, but it is incredibly uncomfortable and, and difficult to come off of it. <laughs> so obviously those people too need to be weaned or sometimes put onto some maintenance medications to prevent them from relapsing. I understand. I understand. So for our listeners who are maybe just tuning in for the first time and they heard about ketamine the first time, what would you like to share? What is ketamine and how is it administered? Right. So ketamine is a very, it's a, it's a, it was developed as an anesthetic agent in the 1960s. So we've been using it. It's not a new drug and we've been using it um, for many years. It's incredible. It's unusually safe anesthetic in that um, it doesn't affect the respiratory drive, even in much higher doses than we would use for for mental health issues. Um, Even in anesthetic doses, it doesn't suppress the respiratory drive. It doesn't um, significantly affect the cardiac output, so the heart function or the ability to swallow your fluids. So like when you sleep, you don't have to think about breathing, swallowing your saliva or your heart function. You don't have to think about it while you're on the ketamine. So it's unusually safe. it's been used in pediatrics it's, it's safely because of these effects. Even if a child, uh, you know, should break a bone or, or something in an emergency room or in the back of an ambulance in the United States, they would give actually quite high doses, higher than we use uh, per kilogram um, in, in, a, in an emergency setting because it's it's so safe. Um, it has very few side effects, very few drug interactions, which is really nice. So people, the nice thing about ketamine is it doesn't, you know, when we use it for mental health issues, people do not have to come off of their 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 current psychotropic medications. Um, sometimes we have them hold. There are certain drugs that could limit the effects of or, or temper the effects on mood, like uh, lamotrigine, which is a mood stabilizer. It's an anti-seizure medication that we use as a um, uh, mood stabilizer for various mental health issues. So we'd have them hold that dose, which is not a problem. Benzodiazepines, we'd have people hold. But generally, there's no absolute contraindications to using ketamine with other medications, So, which is makes it a very safe and, an, and a very good option. It's also very short-acting. So when we give it IV, we can stop it at any time. Um, it comes out of the system very quickly. So if we stop the drip at any time, within minutes, people come back to themselves. The other nice thing is um, it does, you know, some people have a question, is it a real psychedelic? And anyone who's done ketamine in, in a proper way with the proper setting, you know, an eye mask and earphones, so I'll, I'll go into that in a second. You know, it does induce a very significant psychedelic experience, but you don't hallucinate in the typical sense. So, you know, when you're wearing an eye mask and earphones, you will see the musical in, in, in um, it's called synesthesia, where you'll actually see the music in a certain way. But if you take off the eye mask and earphones, there's no visions. You don't, it doesn't distort your reality in any way. You'll be, you know, your depth perception, your coordination will be off, but you don't, uh, you know, you won't see things like you might on LSD or uh, some other psychedelics or mushroom, you know, psilocybin. So from that perspective, it's very interesting and safe a psychedelic agent, short acting. So the nice thing about uh, ketamine is it is um, it lasts uh, for you know our, our our trip goes over sixty minutes. Some other psychedelics, it's you know it's a journey. It's usually taken orally, and it could last for up to five six hours. LSD up to fourteen hours. So it's very it's safe and it's it's easy to use. And our outcomes, I think, are are, are could be just as good, if not better. Some people might argue with that, but I think when used properly in a in a with a uh, with proper pr- preparation and integration and music and the eye mask, the whole setting, um, it can it, it's it's we're finding it incredibly effective um, as an agent to treat you know treatment resistant mood disorders. 
So um, do you yeah. want me to go into the protocol and how it works? Like how? Yes, you know, please. Yeah, that would be so amazing. Yeah. So, you know, usually when people are, before they even see me, they, they'll come in, they'll have an initial screening with our, we have a team of people here who, you know, people who call in, they're either referred by their mental health providers or they find us um, online. And most of the people coming in have been through years of different types of treatment, whether it's psychiatric medications, psych, uh, uh, therapy, um, addiction care, and they've sort of reached a sort of a you know, a wall, like they, you know, nothing's really working. They're not tolerating the side effects of some of these things. So they find us. So these would screen them, make sure that there's no contraindications, no issues that could prevent them. And some of the contraindications, some of the um, issues that could that prevent people from getting treatment would be psychosis. So if anyone's ever had a history of psychosis or schizophrenia, this could induce any psychedelic agent could trigger a psychedelic, uh, a psycho, like an acute psychosis. So we avoid treating those uh, people with a uh, history of psychosis. Okay. Um, and even if some people have a close family history of schizophrenia, we might not take those cases. Um, people with active mania, so bipolar disease, and they're in an active manic uh, state, um, that uh, uh, ketamine and other psychedelic agents can trigger a manic episode. So depending on, and there are some cases where we'll work with psychiatrists if people are in a very depressive stage of their bipolar disease, sometimes we might use some ketamine to get them out and with some help and some treat and some medical medicine, we can actually prevent them from going into a manic state, but that's a case by case basis. So those are some two things. And then people with very you know significant uh, heart issues, people with an uncontrolled thyroid disease, um, you know, unstable medical conditions, we might uh, prevent them from, from uh, having, uh, going through the treatment. So once they're cleared um, and we determine that they have a good indication for a treatment, a reason to come in for treatment, then they'll see myself or a nurse practitioner. And we go through, we do a full medical and psychiatric evaluation, which is about an hour where we go through their medical history, psychiatric history, make sure it's a safe option for them, a good option for them. We go through the whole protocol, explain to them what this is about. And then we, you know, answer any questions. Once they're cleared for treatment, they will, will come in. They And our protocol is a series of two infusions a week over a three-week period. So a six infusions over a three-week period. Sometimes we might modify that and space it out a little bit more depending on their uh, situation. Um, but And so once that's said, they come in, they have a nursing assessment. We have a, an RN, a nurse that uh, checks their blood pressure, make sure that, that uh, you know, they're, everything's stable. Um, then they meet with, uh, then they'll have an IV placed and then they meet with the, uh, the practitioner myself or we have a nurse practitioner and we always discuss the dose. We actually ask for permission to give the medicine to them. Um, and then we discuss the dose each time. And we usually, our dose ranges, we range anywhere from, we dose by weight, 0 0.8 milligrams per kilogram, all the way to two and above, depending on what people need and, and how they respond to the experience. Um, and then each time they come in, we have a discussion based on how they responded to the previous experience how they're feeling since the last experience, then we will decide on the dose. I tend to go up a little bit each time by, you know, maybe by 0.2 milligrams per kilogram up until a point where they say, hey, you know, that last one was enough. I'm okay here. And they reach a plateau. And that's really a discussion we have, uh, you know, to, you know, uh, with the with the member, the person coming in. So once we determine the dose, they put it in the bag and then they meet with an integration coach. And an integration coach is someone, you know, it's not therapy. They, although some of our integration coaches are therapists, they can be life coaches who come in just to create a safe space, set people's intentions, uh, what they want to get out of this experience. So they feel like they're part of the experience and part of the, you know, the situation. And then uh, they do some breath work. They put on the mask, earphones, and then they go into the journey afterwards. Uh, so we create a, you know, it's very important to create a safe space, set and setting. So the mindset, what you come in with, what you want to get out of it, and then the setting the, you know, the actual environment, you know, you want to feel like you're in a safe place. And we put a lot of work into our setting up a, a center where it doesn't feel very clinical. It feels very nourishing as much as it can in midtown Manhattan, um, you know, 53rd of Madison, <laughs> you know, we, we try and create a safe space. Um, and so people feel comfortable to let go into the experience. And then, so hopefully, you know, they have a 60 minute session. And then after the session is over, um, takes about another half hour to come out of it. Then they meet with the integration coach again to set, you know, sort of make sense of what comes up out of the journey to integrate some of the ideas into their experience. If they're ready to do so afterwards, sometimes they might need a few days to do to process. 
And then they meet with the nurse again, checks their vital signs and make sure everything's stable. And then once they're stable to go, they're released. And that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. Sounds very clinical and safe. Yeah, it's very safe. That's the most important thing. I mean, in order to like psychedelics is not, it's, it's, it works. It's a clinical, but it's also psychedelic. And it works in, an, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that we don't all understand completely. But it, it, and what people experience is very otherworldly, and that's very important. It allows us to see our own existence and, and the world in a new way, in a more open way, and uh, hopefully uh, reframe some of the traumas. And, you know, a good 90 or so percent of the people who come in here have had difficult life situations that haven't been properly processed. Some people call it trauma, you know. And so how do we move forward and, and be able to see the world, not through the child eyes of that tra traumatized child, but through our current situation, which we're safe now, and to be able to reframe our situation, to be able to choose how we want to respond to things in our life, you know, through our current situation, not that was imposed on us through certain traumatic situations in our life. So mm, That's so wonderful. Thank you for speaking to that as well. We have a returning guest. Um, she's currently gone through a ketamine-assisted uh, therapy training, and she had to obviously experience it herself. And what she shared with us was um, through her other experiences with different medicines, she felt like there was something holding, there was some higher power, something, a sense of uh, protection. But mm -hmm. she said with ketamine, it felt like, I needed to step in and be that agent, have that agency and really build on that courage and really face it. And she found that very empowering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think that's the beautiful word, sort of finding the therapist within ourselves, the power within ourselves. And I always try and reassure our, our members here is that like the ketamine is not the medicine. The ketamine is just a tool. It's like almost like I see it as a chemical key to our ego, to this processing center that's here to help make sure that we exist in this world, you know? And and all it is, it's lowering the 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 intensity of the, of this processing center, and it gives us. And when you start to take this offline, we get more access to this deeper sense of self, this inner. Some people call it a soul. Some people call it an inner voice, uh, intuitive self, whatever you you know people feel comfortable calling it. But that's really the medicine, you know. And it, sometimes that gets drowned out, and that that that's light. That's like you know, no child in this world is ever born. They're not born into this world depressed. That happens usually, you know, with experience life and different life experiences that sort of impose on that. But kids are generally happy, and that's our default, you know. And that's our essence, uh, that beautiful essence. So we want to get back into that essence that well, you know, this that has a, a desire to live, to have meaning and purpose and joy and happiness. That's who we are. But the brain is here to make sure that we exist. So we have these two forces that have nothing to do with each other trying to coexist, you know, and we're trying to find a better balance. We're not trying to get rid of the ego. We're not trying to destroy it or kill it. We just want to have a better relationship with it. And hopefully these two, so the ego is here to protect us, but we also need to live. So we want to have, uh, yeah, it's a sort of recalibration process. And that's how I see this. So I think the medicine is really the true medicine, that, that desire to live and that that desire to balance is 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 within us. That's always there. It's always been there. It was there before you came in, and before we were in this world, and it's here now, and it always will be here. We just don't see it because we don't feel safe. So the ketamine allows us to to get a, a glimpse, a little glimpse of of that safety, of that who we are at our essence, and that's 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 the empowering part of it. And hopefully, when this comes back online, at least we've we've experienced it, so the two can actually start to work a little bit in better harmony. I guess, yeah. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. I like the the analogy of that. Um, we have this concept that we talk about infantile states. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, through the trauma experiences or responses or stuck trauma, whatever that we carry. Do you also feel like people are stuck? Because I think you mentioned some, I don't know how you worded it, but it almost feels like um, grown-ups experiencing the world through an infantile perspective. Yeah. So you are helping them yeah. kind of transition from that to a more adult, mature, creative person. Yeah, or I'm not sure. I think actually it's the opposite. <laughs> I think that some of the, you know, some of what's imposed, I think the infantile state's happy and joyful and curious and wondrous. And, you know, kids will, you know, they get hurt, they cry. And then five minutes later, they're laughing and playing again. Like that's where we want to get to. That we, being less reactive, not putting so much over unnecessary meaning. Adults, 
live in a very unsafe world. We live with a lot of fear that was imposed on us from media, from our parents, from different traumatic situations that we lose that creativity, that ability to just be spontaneous. And we, and that's the heaviness and that the desire that not feeling safe, I need to survive. So we want to go back to that infantile, that, that essence of who we are and, 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 you know, and it's funny because, you know, when they give children the the psychedelic, the, the ketamine in the emergency room, kids have an e much easier time. And they give it very high doses, crazy, egolytic doses. And the kids don't freak out most of the time. They don't. They're like, they're thinking they don't, they're infantile. They're, they're, they're curious. They're like, oh, this is cool. Like they think they have imaginary friends. Like they see the world in a much more fluid state. Adults, you give them this and they freak out. They like see something that scares them. They can't handle it, and they panic and they rip off the, you know, they, they start to have a problem because they don't want to let go. They don't feel safe. So it's the opposite. We want to get away from that programming that went into it, often imposed by adults, feared, scared adults who have been imposing their, their fearfulness, their small mindedness on innocent children in ways and it's part of the process it's not good or bad i'm not i'm not just a, you know i'm not saying it's bad but we want to find a better balance with it obviously we can't live like children we have to you know certain things in this life that we have to experience and there has to be this level of maturity and adulthood to, to deal with them so we can't be acting like children all the time but it's nice to go back there once in a while and remember that that's who we are yeah 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 absolutely uh is it true that you administered thousands of these iv sessions yeah, I mean, I think we've had a close to 1,500 people come through our program and well over six, 7,000 of these, I think, uh, you know, I haven't counted recently, but it was, I know before the last time I checked months ago, it was around 6,000. Um, so it's been a lot. So we have a lot of experience. Um, doesn't mean I'm still humbled each time I do it. It's a different, like I walk into the room and you don't know what you're going to be. So, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm more of a professional than anyone else. I don't think I'm better than any. There's no, I think the most key thing to becoming a good integration coach or a good pro provider in this field is to be humble to it, to just to be open. And every time you go in the room, it's a new person and every experience is new. And uh, that's something that came up. Um, you know, we do encourage, you know, all of our people to do this work. I think you have to have done it. If you're going to administer this to people, you better have done it. <laughs> I don't want to force anyone to do it, but because it's so, it's it's very humbling. And um, so it helps me a lot explain what people, I know what people are going through. So when I'm dosing people, I'm careful. Like when I went through, I'm like, whoa, you know, it was, it was a lot. And, and I know what they're going through. So, and it also helps me be humble walking in the room. Uh, so that's my recommendation is this. So as much as I've seen 6,000 of these, it's still every one of them is unique. Every one of them is unique. So, yeah. but the one thing we do have experience is holding space and being able to reframe it. So when, if someone, people say, do you, could you have a bad trip? And I don't believe in bad trips. I think, I don't think anyone goes anywhere they're meant, not meant to go for the most part. I think if you're well supported and you create a safe environment, that even a difficult experience on psychedelics can be extremely beneficial, could be, and, 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 and therapeutic. And that's what we've seen here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that um, mainstream out there, everybody's talking about bad trips? Where did that come about? Do you have I any? Think, yeah, I know where they come about. I mean, I think people are doing, you know, psychedelics with their friends or their high school friends or their, you know, and uh, someone, you know, you're, you have five people or a bunch of people doing psychedelics at a concert or something. And someone starts to, you know, have a difficult experience. Someone triggers them in some way. And then it deregulates everybody else in the group because there's no one there to support you. But if you're in a clinical setting in a safe environment in, in nature, or you're in a you know, clinical situation here, you know, doing ayahuasca, and you have people who are really experienced, who are not on the drug, first of all, <laughs> so can hold space for you when if you are having a difficult experience, do some breath work, ease them, reassure them, and they go right back in it. They go right back in it. And we I've seen it many. I mean, I've had that's where I do have the experience is we've had people have very difficult experiences many times. And we've been able to really bring it down, help them re-regulate -re and get right back into the experience. I rarely have to turn it off. Rarely. 
Um, I might lower the drip a little bit. Then we go in, we look in the eyes if they press, and then I look at, and I really help them. We do some breath work, and then we smile like with a nice calm, and then we just bring them back. And, and then afterwards, we help them integrate the difficult experience. And often the difficult experience, there's meaning in there. And if you can, it's like a bad dream. I mean, every time we go and people, you know, we, we have psychedelic experiences every time we go to sleep. I mean, if you think about dreaming, it's a little crazy. And you can have a very bad dream. What's a bad dream? It's a bad trip. What is it? And But if you, it's very important. I learned this in my spiritual studies, but how you interpret the dream is very important. And it's always good to see there's always goodness in the dream. There's always something good to be learned from the dream. Always, always, always. Even the worst dream. That if And, and the person interpreting it, if you can try and extract the good, the lesson out of it, then you turn that bad dream or that bad trip into a good trip. And, uh, and I, that's what I think, you know, again, I don't know how spiritual your audience is or any of that, but, you know, um, I do believe that there's something more to us than what we see in the mirror, the physicality and, and anyone who's done this work will probably agree with me, but in, in this essence of that inner self, that inner voice, that soul, I think is what's driving the whole journey. And, and again, I, like I say it always, 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 you don't go anywhere. You're not meant to go as long as you're in the right setting and, and properly supported. It, it, it can be very helpful. So that's, that's amazing. Thank thank you for reinforcing that. I think this is sort of what we talk a lot about on this channel as well. Um, also, the mystical experiences. You talk about the intersection of neuroscience, mystical experience, integration therapy, all of it. We need all of it. And yeah. to really uh, address the underlying issues. And do you also believe because we need all these modalities, all intersections of all of these amazing uh, modalities because the people who seek this kind of medicine, they are having a hard life. They are having difficult time processing and being in the world, right? So I believe if you could just explain what you mean by that statement as well. Is uh, of what, um, of the mystical experience? Yeah, or? like we need the, yeah, we need all of this together. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, as far as when you're talking about a psychedelic experience, I mean, the ketamine or the psilocybin or the LSD or the ayahuasca or the San Pedro or the whatever it is, these are all just different keys, different tools, but it's only one part. I don't think that we shouldn't put too much emphasis on the substance. It's more about also yourself and what you're, you know, what you're bringing into it. The environment is extremely the set and setting we always talk about, like the environment, the safe space, the people who are there to help support you through the experience is immensely important it's vital it's just as much the music the music is just as important as the ketamine i mean i i, I said over again if someone's gonna it, it has a, ma- a significant effect on what people experience and what they get out of it so there's a lot of intentionality in the music like people ask oh could i bring my own music no <laughs> i mean you know there's times where people have a lot of a psychedelic experience and they have might have playlists we might let but generally like you know you're not going to listen to you know acdc and come in and have the same experience it just doesn't work it doesn't work that way. Um, so I think that, that it's when you look at psychedelic, when you take psychedelic treatment or psych- this modality, you have to look at it as a whole, as a package deal. It's not just a substance. People can take, you know, go in at home in the backyard and then or go to a party and draw in and, and take some LSD and you can have a good time. I'm not saying you, I'm not pushing, you know, people want to do that. I have no problem. You know, that's their choice. But it's going to be a very different. It's not going to be the same type of experience generally. Generally, yeah. Yeah. No, this is a great call as well. That's wonderful. It's responsible. These these things. You know, one thing I'm in awe of and doing the ketamine myself. Like when I walked out of there, I mean, this is a big deal. When you take these substances and you're, you know, you're putting, you're taking down your defense mechanisms. You're turning off this ego, this brain, and getting access to a very deep side of it. What you experience on the other side of it is very significant, and people should you have to be very careful, you know, what you're going to uncover and you have the, and you're in the proper space to do that because it's, it's otherworldly and not everyone's ready to see it. You know, not everyone's, and not, not everyone has to see it and it's not for everybody. Also, you have to have a desire. I think these medicines should call you sometimes, you know, I think they, they become very trendy. You know, everyone wants to do ayahuasca. It's very trendy to do ayahuasca, but you have to know what you're getting yourself into when you're going to do these things and where you're doing it, who you're doing it with, who the, you know, the shamans are, you have to be in a safe space. So um, it's when you go into these sub, these, these other states, it's a big responsibility and it's work. It's work. 
So. Yeah. So here's a controversial question. Do you or do you also agree? Because this is like the conversations and discussions I'm hearing and observing. So do you also believe that maybe ketamine, MDMA, and LSD should be part of the part of the social integrated substance for the Western mind? You mean using it as needed, like having clinical exactly it, mm-hmm. or legalizing yes. it so it can be bought on the street. Um, no, I don't. Okay. I definitely not ketamine because I think it does have some risks. You know, there are some, and, and ketamine again, in used in lower doses on a regular, can be addictive. Um, you know, yeah, I think, I think you lose the, the touch. I think it can turn, if it, it gets abused and used in an, in, in an inappropriate way, it can also be, I don't want to get dangerous because I can have fun with LSD. I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. And, and and some people are responsible and have fun with it, like even mushrooms, I think, you know, they can be in, in smaller doses, especially like be very, you know, it can be fun. I mean, I think alcohol is a lot worse out of all of them. If I had to legalize one, make one of them illegally, illegal, I would make alcohol illegal out of all of them. So I would choose that. I, I, and I, if I choose to make one. So we already have one substance out there that that's misused and, and highly and very dangerous and causes more deaths than any other drug out there is alcohol. Um, that being said, when you use it in moderation, have a nice glass of wine and a buzz, it could be okay. It could be nice, you know, same thing with those substances. So it's a tough one. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think MDMA could have dangers overall. I I don't have a big problem with it. Um, ketamine different. I don't think it's best to make that legal and, and, uh, and psilocybin also, I don't have a big problem with that, making that legal. Um, again, you know, people should be educated. If we're going to make these things legal, the government and whoever it is should really do a lot of psychoeducation and be able to use it. I don't think there's an addictive problem with it. You know, I, you know, like opiates kill people, you know, uh, mushrooms, no one's dying from mushrooms, LSD, you know, generally MDMA can be dangerous. Actually. Um, it's an amphetamine and, and can cause death, uh, in certain people with arrhythmias and things like that. So MDMA, you do have to be careful, uh, with it. It's not so benign. I think mushrooms and, and LSD are, are definitely safer. You know. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so, for this. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. And um, so, coming back to Nushama, your center, uh, yeah. what are the things that you're offering? Uh, you talked about the program. So, can people come into a program? Um, what are the things that you are um, leading and offering right now? So, right now we have two main protocols. Like one is for uh, treatment-resistant mood disorders. So, you know, depression. Uh, Multi, like um, severe multi-drug resistant depression, um, uh, and, uh, PTSD, anxiety. I mean, all these things are the same, right? <laughs> so, like, they're not like they're different symptom complexes, but they're not. It's not like separate disease entities. So, but we do treat these are the symptoms we treat. You know, mostly anxiety, PTSD, um, depression, a um, little bit of OCD, difficult, you know, times to treat that. Uh, eating disorders. So especially binge purge, we've had really, really good results with uh, people who have a bulimic uh, uh, eating disorder, especially. And then we have a separate protocol for addiction, uh, alcohol alcohol use disorders. It was developed, uh, we're using a protocol um, that was developed in the UK at Exeter University um, um, through the Awaken Health Centers. Um, and so we're, we've teamed up with them to offer their program. And that's been great. And, you know, so that's specifically a little bit more psychotherapy and mixed in with ketamine infusions as well in a different type of protocol. So those are really, um, uh, yeah, those are our main indications for treatment at this point. Wonderful. Yes, Yes, I'm aware of the Awaken clinics in the UK as well. They're doing great work here. And in one of your conversation, I heard you say something very powerful, and I think we need to maybe emphasize more on this. You said in the settings, you know, when you are administering the ketamine infusion, you talk about being more and saying less, being more uh, yeah. kind of like a, it's really the counter you know, people in therapy, it's almost like, um, as a facilitator, they tend to talk, they tend to want to guide, they tend to want to point out and, you know, help unpack and things like that. That was really powerful. 
we don't we don't talk about that enough so that was really wonderful what you said there so being more what does that look like in that setting yeah i think you know listen i think that there's a process i think if you have to sum up psychedelic work it's all about letting go the process of really letting go and 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 letting go isn't forgetting it's about actually learning from our past extreme and 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 and, and accepting our past forgiving our past forgiving ourselves and then and then finding the wisdom and the strength through all of our past life experiences so when i say that letting you know part of the process part of that process of letting go is number one to acknowledge what i have to let go of you know and that's where i think therapy years you know some therapy help really helps us unpack some of that stuff and just to become more bring it to our awareness what needs to be brought into our awareness but you know sometimes that can go on too long you know, and someone in 10 years of therapy, I mean, how much, what are you going to say more? You know, it's like, at some point we have to go and go to the next stage. And that, that's acceptance. And that's, that's where the being comes in, just to be with it, to feel it, you know, this situation hurt me, to acknowledge it, and to move through it, you know, so and then to know and accept that with it, that situation, whatever it was that hurt me, it wasn't there, that wasn't its purpose to hurt us, there is an opportunity to grow to have some wisdom. And a spiritual lecture I listened to, they said that, that Wisdom is a memory without the emotion. And I love that. It just really res- it keeps on resonating with me. Is that the past event, the only reason you have an emotion attached to a past memory event is it hasn't been processed. We haven't let go of it, you know? And and once we accept that it, whatever happened, and most of the people that hurt us were hurt themselves, so it's a process, you know? We, we're here to learn to accept and to try and extract. If it happened, it happened. We can't take it back. But at least we can grow from it, become more wise from it. And then once we accept that, then to forgive, you know, there's other chains of to forgive those who who brought us this life lesson. And that's hard. And forgiveness is not justifying what anyone did to us. There's no justification. I don't care if someone, your parent was beaten themselves, doesn't just justify them beating their child. You know, that there's no excuse for it, but they did, you know. And so how could we by how could we forgive them to, to find compassion for them to release the chains that we have to that situation, that person that brought that situation and let go. So again, the universe will take care of them. <laughs> and, you know, anyone who hurts anybody else, there is, there are, there is, and that, con- you know, there might be consequences, not punishments, but just life lessons to help them grow and evolve away from it. So that's a, their process. But what we have to focus on is our own. And so part of the, what the psychedelics do help us do is to step outside, to be able to see all this, to be with those situations, to see that there's another way of looking at these situations, and then just to let them pass like a cloud, let them pass. And that opens them up. So then, and then the next time we're triggered, we see it, we can see, we can choose how we want to see that situation. And it can be very, you know, beautiful. And that's, then there's, a, there is a neuroplastic and there's a, you know, a neurophysiologic mechanism for this, but there's also other things we don't understand about how this happens i think there's different levels there's there's you know the physical level and then there's the super physical the mystical level which i think is a science and when we talk about mystical experiences and spirituality i think mysticism and spirituality um i think it's a science that we just don't know yet we're not that smart we think we're so smart (laughs) there's a lot we don't know about the universe and and the energies and everything that exists around us that we don't have privy to doesn't mean we can't benefit from it or can't access it without understanding it fully and that's okay that's okay so yeah absolutely that answered your question in a very roundabout yes you did and this is this has been so wonderfully informative thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um as we're coming to end of our conversation where can our, our listeners find you are you active on social media where can they follow you yeah i mean I don't personally use social media, but we are active through Nushama. Um, if you go to nushama.com or look up, I think it's Nushama Wellness, the, the Instagram, they have feeds, um, you know, so through through nushama.com, you can find a lot of information and then click on there, you'll find our Instagram feed. So we are active there to some extent. Um, and yeah, and so I'm trying to do podcasts and educate. I think this is a new field. I think it's the future. I really do. I think, and and we're here to sort of figure out the best way to integrate this beautiful work, you know, and make it the most effective and learn from mistakes. You know, we have to be humble also very, that's if I have one, one um, piece of advice to everyone in this field, you know, I don't care how academic we may be, or, you know, never think, you know, at all, you know, we really always have to be humble and we're all doing the best we can to figure out how best to treat people with this, uh, this work. And uh, yeah, so. 
That's so wonderful. And I love your approach. Thank you so much. Bringing in some spirituality and some mysticism into it really does give that depth and more. it makes it more interesting. And I think it makes it's it fun. It's yeah. more fun and meaningful. I think we need more meaning. You know, I think uh, having meaning in our life and our life situations, I think the biggest problem that people have is they become a victim. We become, uh, yeah, we we lose the, the sense of meaning even in our in our difficulties. And when there's a... I don't know if anyone ever read Viktor Frankl's, uh, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a beautiful book, but it goes over that, you know, people in very difficult situations. If you find meaning, you can make it through anything. And I think that's some of what we're trying to work on with this type of work is to, to is that pursuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is great. Um, yes, I feel like the medicines are coming to teach us again to reconnect, whatever that is. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's not by chance that these they're coming here now. So the key is to use them responsibly so they don't get cut off again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's you know, that's our challenge. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As last words of wisdom, what would you like to say to our listeners? Any advice, anything that you'd like to end the call conversation with? Hope. I, I think that there's hope out there. I, I, you know, I don't see mental health issues. I don't think depression, anxiety, PTSD are physical, genetic issues. They've never found a gene for these things. So anyone who's suffering deeply with these things to know that there is a way, you know, a way out and that doesn't, and that's not through suicide or ending your life. You can actually live a fulfilled and meaningful life. Um, and and to, to don't give up, you know, don't give up. These things are coming and they're going to be more accessible, hopefully more, more uh, accessible to more people at better at, you know, and cost less, hopefully over time, the insurance will eventually start to cover it or, or government programs will cover it. So there is hope out there and to don't, to really, if, if this is something that really calls that, that you're called to, to find places that align, that you align with and to look into this work, read up about it, know what you're getting yourself into, of course. But um, but to know that you're not sick and and uh, don't give up hope that you're not here in this world we're not here to suffer or to be punished I don't care what you did or what you were exposed to, um, you know we there there's there's hope and uh, that's what I like to leave people with. Amazing, beautiful. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks All again, right. and hope to have you maybe back very soon. Follow your journey and. Hope to speak to you again soon. If you ever in New York, feel free to come by. And if anyone in New York, you can come visit us at Nushama. Um, it's spelled a little weird, N-U-S-H-A-M-A.com, <laughs> but it's an interesting name. <laughs> yeah. We have also U.S. listeners, and I'm sure um, they'll appreciate this conversation. Thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for joining this conversation. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please get in touch. We'll have all the links and the information for Dr. Stephen Radowitz for you. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform, and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.